The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. All right, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a real pri- privilege for me to be able to share God's Word with all of us this morning. And uh, let me read for, uh, for us today. The passage comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 21. And then after we read the passage, I'll, I'll pray for us, and then we'll begin our time together. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 21. is a familiar passage to many of us. Um, the story of Zacchaeus. Verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to, Zacchaeus, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might, know, he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word, uh, which is living and active and able to Uh, speak to our hearts and we thank you that your spirit does the work of convicting and illuminating your word Uh, we confess God that apart from you that we can do nothing that apart from your spirit teaching and working within our hearts uh, we cannot receive these spiritual truths and so father we invite you here to speak to us in our own individual ways and father allow for me to uh, be your voice today be glorified through this time. And Father, I pray that you would allow for this time to be a time when we would draw near to you. We would sense your voice in our hearts. 
and we would love you more with all of our hearts. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, about a month ago, I got a new job. And uh, this is the first time that I actually uh, have a job in downtown Chicago. And so uh, it's the first time in my life that I've had to actually ride the train to work. And uh, in L.A., when I worked there, I I would often get in my car and uh, be stuck in L.A. traffic for a long time. But this whole experience of riding the train is is quite interesting. And, And so you have to get up at certain times and make it to the train station by a certain time and and uh, there are many times when I'm running because I, the, the train is you know, just about to leave. And so I'm running. And, you know, what I've noticed riding on this train is that, like, no one is smiling. Like, you know, everyone looks a little bit, you know, sad. And um, sometimes, you know, you, you get in the train and you observe the people around you. And, and it's, it's just kind of a little depressing. Um, you know, you, you look out the window and you just kind of feel like life is just kind of passing you by, you know. And uh, sometimes I'll open up my phone and look at my social media and, and um, it's, kind of, it's kind of depressing, you know, because you, you see all these, like, people enjoying, you know, life. And, you know, I saw Sean enjoying barbecue and, and uh, this awesome trip and I was, I was kind of bitter. And, and, then, and I saw, like, you know, my friends in L.A. enjoying the great weather they have there and it was like snowing outside, <laughs> you know, and, and it seemed like all my friends decided to go to Hawaii on spring break. And so it was, it was just kind of, you know, uh, causing all these different emotions in my heart. And I, I know that, um, you know, sometimes and maybe you're like me where you're on a train or you're uh, stuck in traffic going to work. And, and you, you start to ask these really deep questions like, is this what my life is all about? <laughs> you know, um, does what I do every day, uh, is that significant to God? And what brings life, uh, what brings significance uh, to my life? I wanted to share this passage today because uh, what I believe is that ultimately, ultimately in our lives, what gives our lives significance uh, is the personal calling that we have received uh, from Christ to follow and to serve him that what really gives us significance in our lives ultimately is the personal calling that we receive from Christ. Now, in our small group, one of the fun things that we're doing in our small group is that every week we we choose one person to share their testimony. And and, uh, that's been really encouraging and really interesting because uh, you hear just different stories of how God uh, met this person. And, And every person's story is a little bit different. Some received Christ when they were younger and others when they were older. And yet, God is, it's so encouraging to hear how God has been so faithful uh, to meet each of us and to call us unto himself. And I know that ICC has studied the book of Luke, and it took like two years, three years. <laughs> and so you know the book of Luke pretty well. But the book of Luke starts in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, by Luke explaining the reasons for how, why he wrote the book of Luke. And in verse 1 through 4, it reads this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning things you have been taught. So 
we know that Luke's perspective, he's a doctor, uh, he's, he's actually uh, a, a non-Jew author uh, in, the, in the New Testament, and both Luke and Acts were compiled after careful documentation, uh, and we, many scholars believe that Luke actually went around and interviewed people and, and, and wrote down and documented what they said. In fact, many of the accounts about the early life of Christ is recorded in Luke. And many people believe that he actually went to Mary and said, Mary, can you tell me, you know, stories of Jesus? And, and perhaps Mary shared it with others, and so he recorded it. He took notes. And the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is only recorded in Luke. And uh, that it fits with the overall theme of Luke in which he emphasizes that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that he cared for the marginalized, and, and he cared for those that no one thought about. And perhaps Luke heard the story of Zacchaeus, and he felt, gosh, this is really important. And so he included it in his gospel. Now, there's, a, there's an awesome verse in John chapter 21, verse 25. And I apologize if, if uh, perhaps you can see that. The text is kind of small uh, in other slides, but... John says this, he goes, Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Uh, Jesus was uh, an amazing person. Uh, he was able to attract children to him. He was uh, the most loving, the most wise, the most amazing person that ever lived. And so, my guess is that when the church met, uh, in, the, in the early church met every day, that the disciples uh, shared sermons and perhaps Peter shared and John shared. But if they met every day, you know, they can't preach 20, you know, the whole time. And so probably there were opportunities for different people to share their stories of Christ. And I imagine in my mind, in the movie of my mind, that perhaps they were in a room or they were in a small group, an intimate setting, and then this, this small man raised his hand and says, let me share my story. And everyone's, maybe people don't really know who he is, but this Zacchaeus shares his story of how Christ called him and met him. And that's why we have this passage today. Now, this is a long passage, and so we're not going to go into much detail, but I want to I draw three observations and then Three and then two broad principles, you know, as we walk away, uh, and this idea of calling. And this story actually means a lot to me. I actually, I didn't tell my wife this, but at one point I thought about, should I change my name to Zacchaeus? <laughs> and then I thought, no, I'm, I'm blessed by the passage, but I'm, I'm going sti- to stick with Haman. I, I, actually, my English name is Jonathan, but, um, but yeah, that's how much this story actually means to me. So don't call me Zach, don't call me Zacchaeus, <laughs> but uh, it's a very meaningful story in my life. Now, the first observation that I wanted to see here is, is it's in the first verse, and it says here that uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Um, now, we know that uh, in Luke chapter 9, if we read the whole book of Luke, there's a moment in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, that there was a dramatic shift in the way that Jesus thought about uh, his ministry. And at one point, he decided, 
he set his face towards Jerusalem. He was, he, was, he was preparing his heart to go to Jerusalem because he knew that that was what he was called to do. And so Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus was intending to pass through Jericho. The plan was that they weren't going to stop in Jericho. They were going to pass through. And now Jericho uh, was the final city before Jesus would uh, enter Jerusalem. It was the final stop. And uh, Jericho stands about 16 miles east of Jerusalem, and it's about a day's journey to walk. And we know that Jericho was a major city. Uh, Jericho was a major city, and it was called the City of Palms because there were a lot of these date palm trees. And the city was very important because these palm trees was uh, provided balsam, which was, in that time, a major ingredient for medicine. So Jericho was a very important city. It provided a lot of revenue uh, for, for Israel. And this balsam trade was a huge uh, revenue stream for, uh, that brought a lot of economic prosperity to the city. We also know that Jericho was a major city because um, uh, King Herod built his winter palace there. So it wasn't a small city. It was a big city. And it was a place that um, it was a pretty large city. And so um, we, we know that Jesus was planning on passing through. The second thing we see that is that Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. In fact, that phrase chief tax collector is, is not used anywhere else besides talking about Zacchaeus. Now, we also know that tax collectors were despised by the people. And in verse 7, there was grumbling immediately when Jesus says, I'm going to stay at your house, right? They say, he has gone into to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, why were tax collectors hated so much? Yeah, why were they viewed as traitors? Well, one commentator um, says this, and this was really helpful for me to understand uh, what, um, what being a tax collector was like. Tax farming was an... In- I'm sorry, you can't see that. I'm learning how to do slides. Apologize. <laughs> Tax farming was an ingenious tool used by the Roman Empire to both collect income and turn indigenous populations against each other. It was essentially a series of contractors and subcontractors who bid to collect money from an area they knew well. A tax collector had his finger on the had his finger on the pulse of business in the neighborhood. He knew what you did for a living, who your relatives were, and how much you could be squeezed. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus supervised his own subcontractors in the area. Tax farming was not easy. You had to be rich to bid high, but not more than you can reasonably collect. Otherwise, you would make up the difference out of your own personal fortune. So um, this, this commentary really changed the way I viewed, you know, tax collectors because, I, you know, in, in the Jesus movies and different, like, you know, kids' books, you just see tax collectors standing by the road, like, you know, just taking money from people or, or they just look like, you know, um, just a mean person that's there and just, like, you know, stealing from the people in different ways. Um, but tax collectors, if you really kind of think about who they were, these tax collectors were... Um, had to be uh, educated men um, that had already had some means prior to being a tax collector. They uh, perhaps 
you know, had some inheritance or they had some money in the family or they maybe had a business before uh, they became a tax collector. And these tax collectors were not just individuals that, you know, were, um, you know, that the Roman, Roman government just pulled off the street. These were men that understood who lived in the city, what businesses were there, and they had to have some ability to keep records. They had to have some ability to kind of run a business. Um, you had to be well integrated into society. You had to know the people that lived in that city and town. Uh, and so Zacchaeus was, um, was a chief tax collector in a large city. So he, he had other tax collectors that he recruited that worked for him that knew certain regions, and he was basically at the very top. And, and it was not only just income tax, but they had sales tax, road tax, crop tax, import tax, property tax, emergency tax. The, the Romans pulled a lot of uh, taxes from the people. And so these tax collectors uh, had to have some savvy, and they had to be educated. These were uh, the businessmen of that time. They had to know how to recruit. They had to set up operations. They had to have a, a call center. They had to know how to manage teams. They had to deal with issues raised by people. Um, he had to work with the Roman authorities. He was basically a CEO of a, of a pretty large company. He was, you know, and back then, he was a, a spreadsheet guy like me, uh, he, uh, he kept some kind of spreadsheet. Um, he was a numbers guy. And for some of us here that are in the business world, he wasn't too different from us. Uh, he had to manage margins. And you know, for those of us that wake up every morning and work for some large corporation that is not necessarily kingdom focused, uh, he's known not that much different from us. And yet Zacchaeus felt disqualified in many ways because the people shunned him. And in some ways, uh, I know that for me personally, and maybe for some of you in this room, uh, we may feel like since we're in the marketplace or we have certain jobs that, that maybe we're not necessarily the ones that are, are, are called to serve God, that we're not necessarily the ones that are, that are in the front lines of really trying to serve God. I, I took a class called the Theology of Work in my seminary, and it was a very, uh, it was one of my first classes, and God really actually used that to really impact me um, and really speak to me. And there's this book that we had to read called Significant Work, and the, the author, he talks about how those in the marketplace often feel like second-class citizens uh, in the church, because they have chosen a marketplace vocation. He writes, we regularly invite missionaries to stand up in front of our churches, and everyone oohs and ahs over their stories, and then we praise their work. And yet, uh, oftentimes, we don't necessarily see you know, the banker or the accountant or the computer programmer or being called up to share their stories. And so some, somehow we may feel like, oh gosh, as you raise, are raised in a church culture that, that kind of lifts up the missionary or the pastor, you may feel like perhaps what I do is not that meaningful. Uh, 
before God. Now I'm thankful that ICC and, and Harvest and Thrive, uh, there is a good theology of work and, and that our pastors have regularly talked about integrating our faith in the workplace. And yet I know that in churches that I've grown up in, uh, oftentimes uh, those in the marketplace didn't necessarily feel like they were called by God to serve in the kingdom. He talks about this idea of vocational guilt, and vocational guilt he uh, defines as feel, a feeling of having failed to do something meaningful with one's life, a discouragement endured by laypersons that believe that only Christian ministry, church work, evangelism, relief work, etc., is significant to God. Have you struggled with vocational guilt? Uh, I know that I have in my life. And, and, and often feeling like perhaps um, that it is these activities that are, that are significant to God and that the work that I do, spreadsheets and project management and all that stuff, perhaps is not significant uh, in, the, in the whole view of the kingdom. Now, the third observation that I want us to observe is that Jesus is passing through. He's passing through Jericho, and then he sees Zacchaeus And Jesus is prompted by something that he sees in Zacchaeus, and he stops. He stops, and he changes plans. Something in in what he saw in Zacchaeus made him want to change his plans altogether. He he had set his face to go to Jerusalem, and yet he saw Zacchaeus up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I got to stay at your house tonight. And we know that in the course of Jesus' ministry, there were many times when Jesus was doing ministry and working uh, amongst the people, and then something that people do moves his heart, and he, 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 he responds. And so when he, when, he meets the, when he has the faith of the centurion, there's something that, that, that makes him stop and talk about the faith of the centurion, or perhaps the woman that was bleeding that touched his cloth, and he stopped and says, who touched me? Um, or the, or the four friends that lower, you know, that, uh, their, their friend that was hurting and, and needed healing. And Jesus remarks about their faith. And so perhaps Jesus saw Zacchaeus, and there was something that Jesus saw in him. Uh, that, and I, I don't know what it was, uh, but Zacchaeus, he shows some elements of, of spiritual hunger and, and faith here because he's, he's a rich influential member of society, but he doesn't use his wealth or his position in society to, to, try to try to bring Jesus to him, but he actually goes to Jesus. And we know that respectable Jewish men of that time, they didn't run. They, they, didn't, they were respectable. They walked slowly. But he, 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 he runs and he, he climbs a tree. Um, these are not things that, again, respectable Jewish men did, and yet Zacchaeus doesn't seem like he cares. There's a, there's a sense of hunger. And, and then there's this moment where Jesus stops and calls him down and, 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 and chooses Zacchaeus. You know, one of the best feelings in the world, one of the best feelings in the world is when you are chosen unexpectedly by someone, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that's one of the best feelings. When you, when you don't expect to get chosen and this one chooses you, and you're like, me? Why? You know, I, I, was, uh, 
I've been enjoying this, this time with, with my son as he's starting to enter his teenagers and starting to go to uh, these dances and bar mitzvahs. And, and so, we, so we, you know, we talked about it. And, and uh, I'm not going to share the stories because, you know. But, you know, I, I, you know, we talked about it. I said, son, you know, these dances are you know, kind of intimidating. And, you know, and, and he was at a new school. And so you know, I, I made him practice dancing with, with his mom. You know, uh, and he, you know, he had all these questions, and, and rightly, this was a new school. He didn't know that many people, and and uh, and I knew that there would be uh, different things. And I, I, t- I told Mike, you know, son, like I was just like you when I went to my first dance. I was the guy that was drinking Kool Aid in the side, and, and and you know, and and just never asked a girl. And so, don't be like me. I said, don't be like me because I I waited to the last song, the last slow song. It was Lady in Red. And then I said, I, I went, I, I finally had enough courage to go ask her, and she had already been asked by another guy, and I went home sad. So I said, don't be like me, son. Go. Go be a man. Show yourself a man and, and ask, you know. And, uh, and, and I remember times when I, you know, actually the time that I was most, uh, I remember being impacted by was one of my first, you know, bar mitzvahs that I went to, and they have this thing called champagne dance where, um, you know, the, the girl and the, whoever's the birthday is, it is, they, they get to choose who they want to dance with. And so they dance for like a couple of minutes and then, and then those two now get to choose. And then and they, you know, and it keeps on multiplying. And so, and so, you know, all the, all, everyone just kind of stands around them <laughs> waiting to be chosen. And I remember the first time the girl next is like, do you want to dance? And I'm like, okay, you know, and so, you know, and, and just, you know, kind of doing, you know, this weird, you know, um, dance together. But that feeling, that feeling of being asked, chosen, it's, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world. And we don't know why, we don't know, know why Jesus chose um, Zacchaeus. I don't, I don't know why God chose me. In fact, when we share our testimonies, um, we don't really have those answers. of why, What was it that Jesus saw in which he at a moment, reached out to us and called us unto himself. And yet, he did. He did. The moment that Zacchaeus heard from Christ, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today, is the moment that changes life. In the same way in our lives, the moment that we heard Christ call us unto himself is the moment that changed our lives. Now, this parable of the ten minas is... Uh, an interesting parable, and in verse 11, it says uh, that as they, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. So that, that tells me that there is a connection between these two stories, the story of Zacchaeus and the parable of the ten minas. And I believe that there was something about the story of Zacchaeus that is connected to this parable. You see, Jesus is, he's a, he's a master storyteller. Jesus knew how to speak in, in ways that really spoke to his audience. And what's really interesting is that this parable of the ten minas is almost like the parable of the, of the talents, right? It's, it's almost very similar. In fact, when you read it for the first time, you're like, wait, is this the parable of the talents? And yet, it's a little bit different, right? There's some similarities, 
Um, you know, in both parables, the master gives money to his servants to invest, and he goes away, and he promises to return. Uh, in both stories, there are three servants who are highlighted, where um, two are faithful to produce a return, and one is found to be unfaithful, having done nothing with what the master had entrusted to him. But what is different about this parable? What's significant in this parable is that each of the ten servants is given one mina. In the other parable, they're given, they're, it's said that they're given different amounts, each according to their own ability. But in this parable, each servant is given one mina. And in view of the story of Zacchaeus, I like to think that Jesus was saying something very important here and that each of us, each of us, when we are called by God, that we are given that opportunity to respond to his calling. That if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christ follower, that he has called you. That at one point in your life that you heard his voice. And this calling has given you significance just like it's, it's given Zacchaeus significance, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that on his mission to go to Jerusalem, stopped and called you. He noticed you and he called you unto himself. And just like all the other disciples that received the calling, Peter, James, John, the last one to be called in the story is Zacchaeus. No one would have picked Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, chief sinner. And yet, Jesus saw him and called him unto himself. Perhaps you are like me. Uh, You work in the corporate field or you work in your specific vocation. And you wonder what God's purpose is in your life. And you wonder if the work that you do every day is significant to God. To believe and to understand that God has called you. That gives meaning. And maybe like Zacchaeus, you you don't necessarily fit the bill of those that people would say, oh, this person obviously is is a servant of God. This person is obviously um, called to be used by God. Some, so often we, we, we put people into categories and, and sometimes we'll, we'll say pastors or missionaries or certain people that these people are called by God. Perhaps, you, like Zacchaeus, you're like a numbers person or you're, 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 you're not noticed. Um, maybe you're introverted or you're not a people person. You prefer to work in the background. Maybe you are a homemaker, changing diapers and taking care of kids all day. Or you're an accountant working in spreadsheets. You're the, pro- you're the project manager handling um, work between two different teams. Christ has called you. Christ has called you. And it is that calling that drives us to live our lives fully for him.
You know, I used to think uh, when I was younger, um, during my college years, that the highest form of love for God, the highest, the, the, the best way that I could show God that I loved him was to enter into the ministry. Uh, in many ways, I was kind of groomed. If, you, if I were to share you my story with you, I was kind of groomed to go into ministry. Um, I was always, I was that kid that was like the youth group president, then college like leader and you know i was always at all the church events and and um and i, I carried a, a a lot of guilt in my life actually because um i, I didn't pursue this path of, of the pastorate in my mind there was this ranking of, of good christians and and then the rest of us and the the greatest christians were like the missionaries that went to unreached places, they were the, at the very top. And then after them were like missionaries, you know. And then after that were like pastors. And then, you know, and then it, there's a line there. And then after that is like good vocations like nurses and teachers and firemen. <laughs> and then after that was like, you know, people like us, you know, the, <laughs> the rest of us that are, you know, managing margins and, you know, doing corporate work or doing business work. And yet when I look in the scriptures, God has called all his people to be his ministers. My professor hates the word going into ministry. He says every person has been called into the ministry. We have all ministers in Christ Jesus. We are a kingdom of priests. We have all been called. We've all been chosen by God. And so when I looked in the scriptures, I saw, started to see Daniel and Nehemiah, Mordecai, who were politicians used by God. I saw Esther, princess, Paul, a tent maker, Luke, a doctor, Lydia, a businesswoman, Jesus, a carpenter. And so... What I see in this passage is that the one thing that we must not do is to be that one person that hides the mina in the handkerchief and says, the other servants have been called. The other servants have been called. Let me just play it safe. What I want to tell you today is that you have been called just like Zacchaeus. And God has a plan to use you. You are part of God's plan to expand God's kingdom. The last principle that I want to just end with is in verse 15. It reads this. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. You know, a big part of my job and my company People ask me what I do. I'm a, I'm a program manager in my company. And I basically have been given, in my job, I'm given $8 million to, to run a bunch of projects for the company that are important. And so I have other project managers that do the work. And I'm the one that takes all their statuses and, and then goes and presents it to the executives. And says, here's how we spent your $8 million. And my role is to make sure that the $8 million returns um, the, um, the deliverables that we had set. 
You know, um, the one part that really uh, makes me understand this parable and really helps me to get a sense of what God has called me to do is that one day, one day, I will see Christ face to face. And there will be an opportunity for me to show Christ how I've responded to his call in my life. Just like you see me today, I tell you one day, I tell you the truth, one day you will see Jesus face to face. And I wonder what he will look like. Um, But we believe in the scriptures that one day each of us, as we've been called, will stand before Christ face to face and we'll have an opportunity to say, Lord, here's what I've done based on the mina that you've given me, based on the opportunity that you've given me. Over the past few weeks, Dr. Steve has been sharing about this, this paradigm of Christian life that we've been affected in our generation by this easy believism that, you know, that, that if you raise your hand to pray the sinner's prayer, that, that you're good, that you're good. And yet, what we see in the scripture is a gospel of allegiance that we see Christ as king. We see him as master and Lord, and we pledge fidelity to him. We pledge allegiance to him. And one day, one day, you will come before your king and you'll have an opportunity to say, Lord, here's what I've done for you. you you've, I don't know why you chose me. But I'm honored. I'm privileged to be a servant of the king. I'm privileged to be a steward of what you've given to me. I'm, I'm proud to be an ambassador for your name. My professor, he says that we are like press secretaries for king president of the universe. We are press secretaries. We are ambassadors. You know, Paul the Apostle, one of my heroes in the Bible, in whom I named my first son, (laughs) um, he didn't fit the mold. In fact, much of his ministry was challenged by people that said, he's not an apostle. He, he was not one of the original 12 disciples. He didn't walk with Jesus in those three years. He's not from Jerusalem. He's an outsider. He's from, he lived in Tarsus. He built tents. And, and most of all, he, he committed grave sin against the church. He killed people. There were the Christians. He killed people. How could this man be an apostle? And like, just like Zacchaeus, Paul shares his calling. That even though he was an outcast, that God had called him. So let me read for us 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. This is what Paul says. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience 
is an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. He again writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 10. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I have also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I have a suspicion that Zacchaeus could have said, this very same thing that Paul said. He was chosen last by God before Christ went to the cross. But by the grace of God, he is what he is, and the grace that was given to him was not in vain. In the same way, you know, our testimonies may be different, and yet in some ways, they will be just like these two passages. I don't know why Christ called me, but one day I will see him face to face and I'll have a chance to share with him what I've done because of this high calling that Christ has given me. Like all the other disciples, I too have received my one mina. Let me share with you as I close um, and let me call up the, the worship team here. Uh, last week there was a picture uh, that was shared <laughs> of our time at at the uh, Together for the Gospel conference. And um, Pastor Dave shared this picture, and he called it a, a meeting of thrive pastors. And when he said that, uh, my part of my heart went, because I'm not a pastor. And, you know, and it's funny because this picture was taken, and when this picture was taken, I was like on a conference call, and there's some pictures you know, that I didn't post where you know, 11 of those guys are taking a picture and I'm on a, you know, I'm conference call and, they, and then they, 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 call, they call me and I was running out and, um, um, you know, so, and so we took a picture together and uh, I wanted to share it as an example uh, because um, my first reaction when I saw this picture posted last week was, was one of, oh man, you know, I'm not a pastor and, uh, and there was this kind of like insecurity that was coming up in my heart. In fact, you know, in this, if you look at this picture, um, five of the 12 men in this picture have full-time secular vocations uh, outside of their activities in the church. And you know, what's unique about uh, all 12 of these men is that uh, most of us have had actually significant vocational experience um, outside of the church uh, prior to being in ministry, including the pastors of this church. But you know what binds us together as one and as a brotherhood is this sense of calling that each of us have received from God, a calling from the Lord. And in the past, you know, I struggled a lot with feelings that because I was not a, 
a, a pastor or a missionary that perhaps my role, my calling to God was less. You know, if I were to best explain kind of my picture of my role previously and when I was younger, I would best picture it as being basically a, a spiritual water boy. <laughs> you know, the pastors and missionaries are on the field playing. My role is to run and get them water, you know, and like, you're doing great, you know, cheer them on as, I, uh, as they were doing the work of God. And yet through, through God's work in me, through this class I took in theology of work, and just in hearing God's voice in my life, I've begun to see that God has called me. God has called me, and my hope is that all of you here would also hear God's voice in your life. Perhaps you don't necessarily fit the bill of, of what we think of when we think of those that are doing kingdom work, and yet I want to remind you today that you too have received your mina, that you too one day will be, be before Christ face to face. And then on that day, right, you will have an opportunity to, to share what you have, been, you have been able to do in response to God's call in your life. And I hope that in the story of Zacchaeus, you also see your story, a story of someone that was forever changed by what Christ has done by stopping and calling him unto himself. Let's pray. Father, it is my sincere prayer that we have heard your voice today and that your spirit has confirmed that you have indeed called us, that we don't know why you called us. We will never fully understand why you've chosen us out of millions of other people, and yet we, 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 we come today with a deep sense of privilege that we've been called by the King. and that we serve as servants of the Most High, that you have called us to be stewards and ambassadors, Father, for your kingdom, and you have placed us in different places, different vocations, different gifts, different opportunities, God, to serve you. Father, enable us, each of us, to be faithful to what you have given to us. Allow for each of us to have a sense of that calling, that we have heard your voice, and that you call us unto yourself. And Father, we eagerly wait for that day when we can see you and meet you face to face. And that we would be able to say to you, God, thank you. Thank you for calling me. And this is, I know that this isn't much, but this is what I tried to do for you. This is how I, I, I wanted to express my love for you. 
And Father, as we do these things, as we make mistakes, as we fail, allow for us to keep on going, to not invalidate ourselves, to not want to sit on the sidelines while the professional Christians do the work. But each of us will feel a sense of your calling. God, to not waste our life, to not waste the one mina and put it in a handkerchief, but instead, Lord, to want to be faithful, God, to what you've called us to do, to see the ways that you've opened doors for us to serve you. God, strengthen us today. Encourage us. Strengthen our feeble needs. Allow for us to rise to serve you. And we know that you will. We know that you are faithful to to finish what you've started in us. And we thank you that you lead us and you guide us as a church. So we love you. We thank you. Christ, let me pray. Amen.